Welcome. This is the Life Habits podcast series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 31, and the topic for today is relationships. Let's start with a series of quotes to get us thinking on this topic. Start with a quote from Arthur Schopenhauer, who says, Almost all our sorrows spring out of our relationships with other people. Brian Tracy says, The glue that holds all relationships together, including the relationship between the leader and the lead, is trust. And trust is based on integrity. Anthony D'Angelo says, Treasure your relationships, not your possessions. Stephen Covey says, Nothing is more exciting and bonding in relationships than creating together. And an anonymous author says, Relationships of trust depend on our willingness to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Another anonymous author says, We control 50% of a relationship. We influence 100% of it. And finally, Anthony Robbins sums it up best, I think, when he says, The quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. Some great thoughts to get us going on this overall topic of relationships. And I wanted to reinforce here off the top that what we're talking about here is all kinds of relationships. Often people come up in their mind with a concept when somebody says the word relationship and they only think of romantic relationships, for example. When in actual fact, almost all of our dealings with other people in our lives have to do with relationships and the quality of them. And that includes all contexts. That includes your context of working at work, the relationships you have at home, at school, in sports, and in all your roles, in your role as a child, as a parent perhaps, as a spouse, as a colleague, as a team member, and also as a friend. And each of these roles are also a little different in that some of them are voluntary. You decide whether you want to have a relationship with a particular person. And others are involuntary, meaning they're sort of foist upon you. Relationships with family members, for example, comes from them being in your family. The same goes for people that you need to work with at work, for example. So what we're going to be talking about today is all manner of relationship, because all of those relationships directly impact and significantly do so the quality of your overall life and life experience. So I'm just going to go through a list of 10 ideas for you to consider in trying to optimize your perspective on and work with the relationships that you have in your life. Number one is to take stock. We often talk about taking stock as the number one because before you really can work on improving a particular topic 
within your life, a particular area of interest, it's good to step back and see how you're doing in that topic area or area of your life. So in this case, step back and think about the various relationships you have, the various roles that you have, and how are those going? Are those relationships the way you would like them? How's your relationship with the other members of your family? That's often a very important one. How about if you are at work or at university, what about your most important relationships there? How are they doing? Do you have any problems in those areas? In all in likelihood you do, and in all likelihood there are certain areas that you could provide some more focus to improve the relationships in your life. So the first one is really this one of taking stock, making a mental or even a written note of all the relationships you do have, and some assessment with regard to how you're doing in each of those. Number two is to consider broadening your set of relationships. Are there some friends years ago that you had a really good relationship but have lost contact with them? You want to renew your connection to them. It's fairly easy these days to see if they're on Facebook, for example. I know a lot of people are doing that. So are there people who you've had relationships with in the past that have not been kept up and they are also the type of relationship that you'd like to rekindle again? In certain other cases, the relationships fell apart or didn't continue because there was mutual, you know, lack of interest. But some of the time, it's not a matter of mutual lack of interest. It's really a lack of focus, a lack of putting priority on the relationships in your life. So there may be one category, and that is, you know, relationships that you've had in the past that you might want to rekindle. And the other category is people that you'd like to develop a relationship with. Are there some people that you know that you know really tangentially, you don't know them very well, that you'd like to get to know better? Is there really interesting? Are there doing things in a way that are in particular activities that you really would like to get into as well? So really think about this notion of broadening your set of, you know, relationships in your life. Number three is to consider reducing, you know, doing the opposite. Are there some people in your life, are there some relationships that you have that are really kind of poisoning your life, that are really taking the quality of your life down significantly. Now, it comes into play here, the voluntary and involuntary relationships. To a certain degree, the ones that are involuntary are ones that are a little harder to, you know, distance yourself from, but you can still do that too. If there's somebody in your family that you're having some real difficulty with, for example, you can work on that relationship. You can actually try to improve it. But if all attempts to improve it really have not succeeded, you can also distance yourself there. You can arrange it so that you don't have as much to do, you know, with that person. And that same thing goes for work and school sort of situations too. If you need to be working with a certain type of person at work, let's say, that you really don't get along with. You've tried everything you possibly can to improve the situation, but there's just no reciprocity. There's nothing coming from their side. There's just not the chemistry. Then there are 
techniques to try to back away from that type of relationship. Try to change your assignments, your work assignments, in such a way that you have less to do with that particular person. So a lot of this just takes some analysis, some stepping back and considering what kinds of things, what kinds of relationships are improving your life and which ones are not. What new ones can you add? Which existing ones can you reduce? And then number four is to consider which ones you want to deepen. Are there some relationships that you have today that might be with members of your family, maybe even be distance, distant family that may live in another country, let's say, that you may not have in the past had that much to do with. But, you know, now, given the flattening of the world and the capabilities like the, the web and a lot of these social networking technologies, it's a lot easier to actually link up and have a closer and deeper relationship with people that may not have been, you know, that close to you in the past. There may be also instances of people you work with that you step back and think, well, you know what, I think this is a really interesting person. He or she really makes me feel good and we work really well together. But, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about them. You know, I don't even know really that much about their home situation or what kinds of things they're interested in outside of work. So this is another area to consider to improve your overall relationships, to consider which ones you may want to deepen. Now, when you think about improving, broadening, and deepening relationships, there's a variety of other areas that you can consider that I'd like to describe to you next. Because these all have to do with maintaining and further improving the quality of relationships. And the first of these, which is number five on my list, is Stephen Covey's concept of the emotional bank account, or EBA. The concept here is that we have, much like we have a, a regular financial bank account, you know, where you put in money, you take out money, you can be, you know, withdrawn on that account, for example. The same concept applies to your emotions and your emotions vis-a-vis other people. So if one particular, you know, friend of yours or colleague of yours or a member of your family routinely asks for favors and asks much more than they ever give, there's never reciprocity. There's never anything that they really do for you. They always ask you to help them out. You also always, you know, volunteer to help them out with various things. You're the one that comes back when they've, you know, done something wrong, but, you know, you you come back to them and the like. But it's never too directional. That takes away from the quality of the relationship. That takes away from your desire to have a relationship with them. So think about that for your own situation too. Are you really contributing as much as you're getting? And I would suggest that on a regular basis, you should be thinking about giving more than you're getting. Because giving, as we've talked about previously, makes you feel better a lot of the time than even, you know, getting. But be aware of the situations where you're really depleting somebody else's, you know, emotional bank account with you constantly asking them for stuff and really not coming back with stuff on your own. There's really a balance that's required here. 
And keep that in mind. There are, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts when I talked about parenting, that's often the case that uh, you need to make sure in dealing as a parent with your kids that you have an appropriately healthy bank account with regard to emotion so that when you do need to be more firm, for example, about requirements that you have for them to do a particular thing, that they'll do it because you haven't just been demanding all along that it's a give and take, that there's truly a balance there. So the emotional bank account is incredibly important. And if you're not that aware of it, you want to read more about it, Stephen Covey's books, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and all of the other derivative books from that original idea, you know, talk about this concept of emotional bank account. And I think it's one of the most important elements of his overall approach to effectiveness. Number six is to express gratitude. And this is a good way to invest in the emotional bank account with others is to, on a regular basis, simply and authentically and sincerely express your thanks when somebody does something for you or for others. Be the one that actually says it or writes it. Don't assume that because you're friends or because you're colleagues, because you have a relationship, that you don't need to express your appreciation and your gratitude. I did a dedicated podcast on the topic of gratitude some episodes ago. So if you'd like to go more into those topics, the topics related to expressing gratitude more effectively, you might want to listen to that one or listen to it again if you have listened to it previously. It's an incredibly important element of maintaining and further growing relationships is the effective expression of gratitude. And as I talked about in that episode too, you're going to watch that you don't overdo it. And you have to watch that you're not doing it in a way that isn't really sincere. But if you have the thought, and you should actually have the thought when it's appropriate, when you really do appreciate what somebody else has done for you or for others, you be the one that very effectively and appropriately expresses gratitude. And related to that is number seven, which is to forgive. And again, I've touched in depth on this one before too. You want to make sure in keeping your relationships healthy, that there are situations where somebody truly does hurt you, does something that can be quite horrible. And you may have some real resentment with regard to what they did and what they may have done to you. Step back again and evaluate whether this is a relationship that really is in fact important to you. Is this a relationship that, that's worth it to rebuild? Don't just come to the automatic conclusion, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that person again. People do that too quickly. Think about whether salvaging the relationship is worth it and worth it to you. Think about it longer term, not just this immediate emotional reaction you're having to a situation where you're hurt by another person. Think about it, whether it's in your best interest to maintain this relationship. And if it is, express some level of forgiveness for anything they may have done. You'll be amazed that when you do that again, authentically and from the heart, and you have to really think through and be comfortable with doing it. But when you do do that, you'll find that there are relationships that you thought were long gone and that with appropriate expressions of forgiveness can be brought back and be incredibly healthy and really enjoyable 
for the rest of your life. And I see so much human carnage, emotional carnage around where people just won't stand up to expressing forgiveness and just hold grudges and constantly try to get back at the other person. And, you know, whose life is impacted the most by all that? Well, it's the person themselves, right? So when you really step back from that and say, is that really the way I want to live my life? Or do I really want to take the upper hand here and express some forgiveness and move on? And as a result, improve the relationship. May also be the case that if they continue to act in a way that despite all of your expressions of you know gratitude and forgiveness and the like, that they still are you know, abusive of the relationship and not showing any reciprocity, for example, you know, at some point you can decide to walk away from that or minimize your involvement, you know, with the person as I talked about in uh, number um, three in the list. But what I would suggest is that you give it a go, give it a really honest and, you know, thoughtful approach toward trying to repair and then maintain relationships by providing some level of forgiveness when things have gone wrong. Number eight is to stay positive. Again, a lot of the time when relationships first start, and that's often the case in, you know, friendships and romantic relationships, even in working with people in a work setting or a school setting, start off really positive when you first meet somebody. You might only be aware of their really positive qualities initially. As you get to know people, everybody has positive characteristics and some more negative characteristics as well. And a lot of people will react to that when all of a sudden now you're starting to see some of the warts, some of the, you know, slightly less positive characteristics of people in whatever roles we're talking about here tend to react and focus on the negative. And if you focus on the negative, what happens? You start to only see the negative and you don't see the balanced person. So here again, my advice is to keep and stay positive, focus on the positive characteristics, reinforce people for the positive things they do, forgive them for the negative things that they may do, and to keep a balance in order to really have healthy relationships all around. Number nine is to invest time. You know, we all live really, really busy lives. We've all got a gazillion things to do, tons of worries, tons of activities to do on a regular basis. Our brains are increasingly increasingly filled up with all kinds of things to think about. And in my experience, people don't spend enough time. They don't invest in relationships. And a lot of people make the assumption that, well, you know, if if a relationship needs some and some real attention, then it's probably not worth it, right? The relationship was never meant to be if you actually have to expend some energy in ensuring that you have a positive relationship. Well, I think you'd be in a lousy state in dealing with others in terms of relationships if that were your view. Relationships, like any number of other things, really require some focus and require some investment. And you're listening to this podcast because 
it is a topic that is of interest to you, suggests that you're the type of person that will do some level of investment of your time and energies into trying to improve your relationships. So routinely looking at the various items that I've got on the list here today in the various relationships you have is really what's required in order to have healthy relationships all around. And it's useful too, by the way, to think through the whole list because lots of people will think about, well, what's the quality of my you know, relationship with a you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, wife or husband, but won't necessarily think about their relationship with their kids, their parents, their colleagues at work, their fellow students, they're at school, or their friends. There's an assumption that, you know, all this stuff doesn't need to have an investment. And what you'll find, and there's also some gender differences in this as well, what you'll find is that women typically will keep up relationships more effectively than men will. And men are more likely to be of the view that this doesn't require work or shouldn't require, you know, work shouldn't require focus, that it should just continue on. And a lot of uh, men also growing older find themselves really left with relationships that are only focused on their work, for example, and that they may not have had as close relationships with their children and also that they may have lost contact with some of their friends that they may have in previous years had a relationship with. So this is a whole area that a lot of people don't give enough attention. And as the quotes talked about, this is a whole area of your life that, quite frankly, many times determines the quality of your overall life. So number 10 is to keep up the focus. Don't leave your thinking about this topic of relationships only restricted to the time that you're listening to this podcast episode. You want to make sure that on a regular basis, you do the taking stock. How are things going with regard to the various relationships? I mean, I had for a long time a, and this came from some of the stuff that uh, Stephen Covey talked about. I highly recommend his his work, especially his early work, where you would indicate, or where I, I would indicate on my electronic calendar, my schedule, the various roles that I have and the quality of the relationships in each of those roles and thinking about on a weekly basis what I wanted to do to strengthen or maintain that relationship for that week. And by looking through each of those roles, let's say it were one like uh, the role of son. That's something that I... Previously, wouldn't necessarily have thought of making sure that I go through the cycle and say, hmm, you know, did I, did I call my mother, you know, that week? Or if it's a particular item of looking at a list of your important relationships with regard to your, your children or colleagues and friends, you know, do I want to get together with, you know, a friend during this week in particular that I haven't seen for a while? Uh, what about you know, looking at the relationship with your with your kids. Is there some level of balance of wanting to do something special that you don't necessarily do with all the kids, however many kids you may have, if you have any, that if you want to do something special with like one of your kids, you got to plan that, right? If you don't plan that kind of thing, you often just don't do it. 
And then many years later, you think, well, you know what? I, that relationship really went down the tubes and I wonder how that happened. Well, hey, <laughs> as with most things, if you don't think about it, if you don't plan for it, you're not going to necessarily get the kind of results that you want either, nor the enjoyment and value as well. So having a regular time of sort of taking stock of the various relationships that you have and which ones you really want to strengthen, which ones you want to really distance yourself from, which ones you really want to make sure that you're doing various activities and like with, and also thinking about which ones you want to, you know, reinforce by expressing appropriate gratitude, which ones you want to forgive for certain things that they did, which ones you really want to remind yourself to stay positive about and the like. So it's a really important topic. I think it's one, like I said several times during this session, that people don't spend enough effort on. And it's often also the one that when people talk about being on their deathbed and talking about, you know, what they wish that they had done more, they don't normally say, oh, I wish I'd worked harder. I wish I'd, you know, sold more or written more reports, you know, hey. That's not the kinds of things that people talk about that they regret not having done more of. The kinds of things that they almost always say is they wish that they had developed and fostered better relationships, that they wish they had spent more time with family and friends. So it's an important one to focus on some ideas on this list here that will provide you some level of structure to the ways in which you can address this topic and advise you to go through these. And of course, the list of these top 10 items are also, if you're listening to this on an iPhone or an iPod Touch, you can just simply touch the screen and you'll get the list of these top 10 items. You can also look at them directly in iTunes. If you right-click on this particular podcast episode, and get info, and then look in under the lyrics tab, you'll see the top 10 there. And they are also available at lifehabits.net. And there's a tab on that website, it's the show notes site for this podcast series that will provide you the list there as well. So you don't need to be writing this down while you're listening to this podcast episode. I also wanted to mention that I got an email, and I encourage you all to do that. You can send an email to lifehabits at gmail.com. You can also provide comments and ratings directly in iTunes. You can also provide comments and ratings right on the show notes site as well that I mentioned earlier. Uh, that is the um, lifehabits.net uh, site. Um, you can, um, so you can, you can provide comments or send questions in any of those forums, and it doesn't matter which ones you use, you can use any of them. But I got an email from uh, Jin, and he writes, Hi Carl, I've enjoyed your Life Habits podcast so far. Keep up the good work. I've tried audiobooks a few times, but I've failed. I have a lot of trouble listening to them to understand the content, while I would have no trouble if I read the printed version of the same book. Yet... I have no trouble listening to music or your podcast while doing many other things at the same time. So even a single task dedicated full attention to the audiobook still doesn't quite work. Since you're a fan of audiobooks and have experience with them, 
I'm wondering if you could provide tips or suggestions or best practices for handling audiobooks. If you think this topic is big enough, perhaps even do a podcast on it. I found this problem strange, and I'm sure I would crash if I drive and listen to an audiobook at the same time. Your advice is much appreciated. Jin. Now, Jin is also referring there to uh, several podcasts ago. I talked about ways of taming technology and talked about suggestions for how you could do certain things in parallel. And one of those things was, you know, podcasts and audiobooks, which you can listen to at the same time as doing other events. And Jin points out that in his own experience, while certain things like podcasts are able to be consumed in that way, in a multitasking way, that uh, other things like his experience with audiobooks is that he can't uh, multitask with those. So my answer to Jin's question is really that there are three elements that are relevant. One is differences in content, differences in people, and differences in situations. As with virtually any task, and we talked about in the podcast series this concept before too, you really have to decide whether the content that you're going to be dealing with, whether it's something that you're doing for work or whether you're doing something for pleasure, there are certain types of things that you need to single task. There's no way in heck that you can multitask on them. So in the area of audiobooks, there are certain types of content of an audiobook that you can, and in my experience, that you can listen to while doing other things. There's other types of audiobook content that is extremely difficult because it requires your full attention. So if you're reading or essentially listening to a book that's lighter in content, that if you miss the last sentence because something or else happened, doesn't really matter because you can pick it up from the context again, you know, that's, that's fine. And that'll work really well in a multitasking way. If on the other hand, the content is such that it really does require your full attention, that if you miss, you know, a sentence or it's so engaging that, you know, you are so distracted from anything else you do, then that type of audiobook you really shouldn't be considering doing in a multitasking kind of way. So I think content really does determine whether you can do something in a multitasking way or not, whether or not it's an audiobook format, whether it's a, another form of audio in terms of podcasts, as well as if it's some other kind of work that you're doing. You know, I find that certain types of things I can do, you know, in parallel. So, you know, text messaging, for example, I can do a variety of other things at the same time. But there are certain types of things that I need to be doing, like, you know, writing a, a strategy document, for example, that requires huge thinking. I mean, you really need to consolidate and integrate ideas from a variety of different places. I can't be multitasking when doing that. That's a single-threaded activity that I need to focus on 100% of my brain. So, so I think, you know, the one difference is really in the area of content. The other one is, you know, differences in people, right? That certain people can multitask better than others. And you can also learn this skill, I think, because I started off earlier on in my life of not being able to really multitask at all. 
You know, I needed to have complete silence back when I was at university, for example, for undergraduate in particular, I needed to have complete silence in order to really study. And then I got to sort of the reality of having a, I think this started in graduate school and then went on to the working life as well, spending a lot of time on airplanes, uh, all kinds of environments where if I didn't do some work while doing something else or doing some task, you know, in a, a multitasking way, uh, I would just run out of time for everything. And so I just trained myself, I think, to develop the skill of multitasking. Now, you still got to keep in mind the content that I just talked about, that certain types of content still, even for me, somebody that's actually fairly good at multitasking, there are certain types of content that even I can't deal with in a multitasking way. But I think there is a an individual difference component to this. And it makes a lot of sense to get your own comfort level. So, Jin, in your case, it may be that things like audiobooks across the board, almost independent of content, are ones that you find uh, you're not able to multitask or that you don't want to, that you might want to enjoy the audiobook so much more if you devoted 100% of your attention to it. So there really are individual differences in the ability to divide attention and still be able to, you know, glean the benefits of multiple tasks versus having to spend your full brain on the activity. And then lastly, the differences in situations, the environmental factors, right? If you are, you know, you talked about uh, listening to audiobooks while driving, you know, if there's an activity that really does demand a lot of your attention, like I'll listen to audiobooks while driving, but only when I'm really driving a route that I really know well, that it's really a straightforward, you know, highway driving that I don't really have to expend much of my brain power. And if I do need to, because something happens, then I can just grab the attention on that particular activity or situation. But uh, there are other situations, like if I'm driving in a strange city that I've never driven in before, and it's rush hour, and driving a standard transmission, you know, you add up the factors and the situations, you wouldn't think of, you know, listening to an audiobook, you know, in that kind of environment, for example, because I would know that a lot of my brain needs to be devoted to that situation, that context. Same thing was if you're cleaning up around the house or you're doing, you know, dishes or you're uh, mowing the lawn, shoveling snow, whatever, you know, those activities are virtually automatic and that you need to expend very little brain power in doing them. And in fact, I think in these cases, especially things that are kind of monotonous and things that are routine, actually providing some level of stimulation to your brain by listening to an audiobook at the same time is actually something that far improves your experience in dealing with those kinds of contexts and those kinds of tasks. So I really do think it comes down to those three factors, the differences in content, differences in people, and differences in situations that really determine when we can multitask and what we can multi multitask on. And so I hope that provides some level of insight to the situation that you introduced, Jen, and uh, hope it will help you in the way that you deal with varieties of content. Thanks so much, Jen, for the email. And I'd like to, again, encourage all of you to also get back to me with any suggestions you have for topics for this series, any questions you may have that you want me to address, or any feedback you may have on it. And as usual, I'd like to thank all of you 
for your continued interest in this podcast series and its episodes. And we'll talk to you all next time. And bye for now.